0: Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. All right, Northgate, how are you guys doing today? All right, we're going to get into it right away. How many of you played hide-and-seek as a kid? All right. Keep your hands up if you still play as an adult. Maybe with your kids, your grandkids, or whatever, right? So when we were... uh, Young parents and our, our girls, we have two daughters. When they were like two and four, play hide and seek in the house. You know, there's an inside version and an outside version. Inside is real simple. You go and hide somewhere, and then they count, and they come find you, right? So you can hear them like nine, ten, ready or not, here we come. And then they look. Now, they are two and four, and it's possible to hide too good, And you don't want to just be like, you got things to do. You don't want to be there like all day, right? So eventually you like, you stick your foot out out on the other side of the couch so they can see it. And then they're like, ah, daddy. And then they run and they tackle you and you wrestle a little bit. And they said, okay, daddy, you go count. We're going to hide there. You know what I'm talking about if you have little ones, right? So you go off and you count. I know where they are, right? But that's not the game. The, the game is to take some time and have some fun. So you go and you count, and you're like walking through the house. Are they in the kitchen? You can hear from the living room. No! <laughs> are they in the bedroom? No! We're like, are they in? No! And you finally find them, and then you wrestle, and then somebody else's turn goes and counts, right? Well, the interesting thing is, we're, we're grandparents now. My wife, Michelle, sitting over here. She's the beautiful woman with the white, silver fox hair. And, uh... We're we're grandparents now, which is awesome. I've told you before, like, grandparenting is an amazing thing. I I had a friend of mine, he said it this way, we like them so much, we wish we would have had them first. (laughs) So the crazy thing is, our granddaughter's three and a half, our grandson's one, but our three-year-old, she literally does the exact same thing, and I'm Poppy to her, so she goes, okay, Poppy, you know, you go count, I'm gonna hide there. She says the exact same thing as our our girls did, so it's kind of fun. But I have this theory, and my theory is that everyone, everyone wants to be found. We may be too busy to recognize it for at t- different times in our life. We may just be like hustle, bustle, doing the thing, raising kids, going to work, the whole thing. But there, there's moments in our life when we recognize what, like we, we really want to be found, and in different ways, we stick our foot out, hoping that somebody sees it. We, we may not be able to articulate, like, I need God in my life. I'm like, I, I don't even know what it is. I just know I need, I need to be found. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today, helping somebody else get found. But if you're new to Northgate, let me just say, first of all, welcome. We're so glad you're with us. If you're online, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're, this is a great place. And if you are brand new, maybe your first, second time, I'm going to encourage you to just continue to connect and keep coming and get to meet some of these people. They are amazing people here. Uh, I've, I've known Larry, your pastor, for years and years and years. In fact, I've been in the same church I'm at for 35 years. And when I first went there, his grandparents were in our church and he would come and visit in the summertime. So I remember when Larry was little. Some of you are like... That's never happened. No, there, he was younger. I don't know if he was little. He was younger. We'll put it that way, right? He's a big dude. So I've known Larry all these years. I'm so proud about what he's doing here, what this church is doing. This staff is just amazing. So thank you guys for coming. But if you're, if you're new, I just encourage you, stay connected. Now, you guys are going through the book of Matthew. And I've been tracking with you. I've been watching some of these too. And I know like a couple weeks ago, Carrie was here and she shared with you the story about Jesus slept in the middle of a storm on the, on the lake, you know, right? Everybody else is freaking out like, this could be the end of our lives. And Jesus is taking a nap. And she talked about rest, R-E-S-T, and last week, Jeff, Jeff talked about how Jesus healed the, the guys with uh, the demons, and uh, it, I thought he did a great job of explaining the whole issue of the, the change, like the absolute transformation that Jesus can bring in our life. And so that was last week. This week, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. We're just beginning that chapter, just the first few verses there. That's where we're going to be this week, if you're going to find that. But l- let me set it up this way. I mentioned my my granddaughter. Our granddaughter is named Vera. We call her V. She's three and a half years old. Just recently, we were doing a photo shoot in our house, just she and I and my camera. We're just having fun. So here's what came out of that little photo shoot. Look at this picture here. Yeah. So she is a cuddly, wonderful, fun, articulate, smart, maybe the most amazing granddaughter in the history of granddaughters. And I know you, some of you have grandkids, and I'm sure they're okay too, but it's like ours is like exceptional. And so if you're a grandparent, you know exactly what I mean by that, right? So a Father's Day, I get home from church and uh, my my family is there. Before I get there, we're going to just grill out and relax. And um, Vera is at our house and she comes out in the garage and she says, happy Father's Day, Poppy. Now she calls me Poppy. She goes, happy Father's Day, Poppy. And I get to come inside and she gives me a card. And then that card is something that her mom, our daughter, helped her do. So basically, the card is a list of things about me and whatever Vera said, mom wrote down. Okay, here's the card. It says, you know, this is my grandpa, but basically, my name's Poppy. So it's just going to be hard for some of you to see. It's pretty small, but I'll tell you what's going on here. She says, my Poppy's name is, and she says, John, like she knows my name. And then he is, she says, I don't know, years old. And then later she guesses 20. So she wrote that down. His job is working at the church. Yes, it is. His favorite thing to do is play with me. Oh, I know. Every time I see it, I I think the same thing. Uh, His favorite thing to eat is broccoli and chips. I have no idea. Like, give me some ribs or something. But anyway... That's what she said, so it got written down. My favorite thing to do with my poppy is go to the park. Oh, that's so sweet. But here's my favorite one. The one thing I hear poppy say a lot is, I love you. See? The last one is, I love poppy because he makes funny faces. Now, if you remember the photo shoot, she was the one making the weird faces, right? So apparently it's genetic. But here's the deal. What what do you hear me saying the most? And from her vantage point, it's "I love you." I'm not, I'm not sure that's what I say the most, but that's what she remembers the most. And how cool is that? So I say that to, to remind you of something. Maybe you've forgotten because life's been hard the last couple of years. God loves you. He said it two thousand years ago on a cross. And he just keeps saying it. every sunrise, I love you. Every sunset, I love you. Every day in multiple ways, he says to you, I love you. And in Matthew chapter nine, we're going to look at four friends who, who seriously love their friend enough to get him to Jesus. So let's go there. Matthew chapter nine. Speaking of love, this is a great story. Matthew chapter nine, beginning in verse one, says this, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. Listen to this. When Jesus saw their faith, not the the paralyzed guy, but the friends. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. I I just want to just stop there and and know that this story is told in multiple accounts. In one of the accounts, we, we get this picture the guy's carrying their friend. They know where Jesus is. He's back in his hometown. They carry the friend, and when they get there, the place is so packed, they can't get him in to see Jesus. So they get up on the roof, and they tear a hole in the roof, and they let their friend down right in front. Like, Jesus is teaching, and all of a sudden, what, 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 Like, here comes this guy. These guys, this is their motive, right? They believed if they could just get their friend in front of Jesus, his life would be changed forever. That, that's what's going on. These four friends loved and cared for their friends so much. If we can just get our friend to Jesus, everything's gonna change. Now, we typically see the miracle, like he walked out of there and we're like, wow. But we, we, we sometimes quickly pass over the very thing that irritated most of the religious leaders. Did you catch that? Told, Jesus told the guy, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, well, you can't do that. Now, understand sin is a big deal. Jesus didn't say, hey, your sin's not a big deal anymore. No, he said your sins are forgiven. And if you're wondering like if sin is even a big deal anymore, I mean, like we've taken like cultural polls to determine what are sins now and what aren't. Uh, That doesn't matter. God said, no, it's still sin. But if you're wondering if it's a big deal, just look at the cross. That's how, that's how big of a deal sin is. Like, there's a cross. But the reason the cross is there, because Jesus wants to forgive us. He wants that relationship with us, right? so, so Jeff, last week, did this really kind of cool thing with, with the hello, my name is, right? All these names. We have the name like Poppy or John, but we also have the name like BroncoFan, fan. I was watching your Instagram feed, Easter. There was a, On your Easter feed, there was a guy outside greeting somebody else and he had a Broncos jersey on. I'm just gonna say, dude, if you're here, I'd love to meet you. Because in this territory, I'm gonna tell you right now, you're probably surrounded by maniacs called Raiders fans. Yeah. See, at our church, we it's amazing to me, God loves you, but um, at our church... At our church, we have a special door just for Raider fans, because that has metal detectors. And we want to make sure they go through there. So, but Jeff did this last week. He said, you know, maybe, maybe what is on that label is something you, you blew, you know, like when you were younger, like it's just a sin. It's, those names kind of stick to us, and God changes all of that, right? So these, these friends bring their friend to Jesus. Now, a friend of mine named Dave Stone says it this way. He says, Satan knows your name, but calls you by your sin, Jesus knows your sin, but calls you by your name. He's not saying sin's not a big deal. He just forgave the guy. And then he said, get up and walk. Wow. So again, these guys believe that if they can just get their friend to Jesus, everything's going to change. And so what I want to do, while Jesus should be the focus of the story, I want us to look at the four friends and maybe learn something from them. Okay? Can we do that today? Here's the first thing I want you to think about. Make a list and pray specifically. Make a list, and I'll explain the list, but let's just talk about praise specifically for a minute. I was um, 18 years old, and up until that point in my life, I had tons of hair. Some of you just noticed, I don't have any. Um, when I was, I was a kid, they literally had to thin my hair in order to cut it. It was just so thick, bushy, it was everywhere, and I didn't realize how much I would miss it. But anyway, so when I'm 18, and it starts going away, and that is tough on a young man. It was horrible, it was like... Crushing, like my hair is going away. And I had a friend, I was like in my young 20s, I'm still in college, and somebody asked me, They said, Do you ever pray for hair? <laughs> I'm like, Yes. <laughs> like on a regular basis, I pray for hair. And then it started growing on my back. <laughs> so let me just say this be specific in <laughs> prayer. That's why I wrote it that way. Be specific in prayer. Uh, There's a guy named um, uh, Leonard Sweet who wrote a book called Soul Tsunami. Listen to what he said. He said, the results of scientific research into the medical benefits of prayer are so overwhelming that physicians who do not integrate it into their treatments are liable to malpractice suits. But prayer is a big deal. It's a powerful deal. And I want us to be praying. So, so who's the list? Like make a list and pray for them. Pray specifically the list of the people who God has placed in our life who may be far from him, but we're connected to them. Like we know that they're family, they're the coworkers, neighbors, friends. And so I want you to, to do this even now. Like if you get your phone out, go to the notes, just start a new note. And just start writing names of people who come to mind, people who don't know Jesus, people who desperately need that connection, people who are lost and they may not even know they need to be found yet, but they need to be found. Like start writing their names. You may come with two or three or five or 10 or whatever it is. Somebody after the first service today showed me the list on their phone and it's pretty long. Said these are people I pray for all the time. And I'm with you. Like I have an alarm that goes off of my phone every day just reminds me to pray for the people on my list. So so make the list of those people. There's 170 million non-Christians in America today, which makes the United States of America the third largest mission field in the world. So I'm not going to ask you to make a list of 170 million people, right? But you can make a list of five or six people that you know, that you interact with, that you see, that you care about, that God has placed in your life. Now, I was here last summer. I was here last summer in July, just about the same time. Uh, Right after we were here, we we were on vacation. And while I was on vacation, I got a a call from my my friend. He's our executive pastor of our church. And he says, man, I'm not feeling good at all. And uh, wound up in the hospital. We were continuing to to connect and, and text. And then he got on the ventilator. And then 30 days later, he died. 40 years old, no prior health problems. A wife and two little boys in middle school. He's one of my best friends. And it still hurts, just to think about it. I hurt for his wife. I hurt for his kids. I hurt for me because I just miss him. But let me tell you something. I know where he is. I know where he is. And I have people on my list, on my phone, that if they were to die today, they would not be there. They don't have a relationship with Jesus, and that's not okay with me. And so I encourage you to, to make that list and be specific as you pray for them. Larry King, maybe you remember him. He used to always interview people on TV, the journalist. And he, he tells a story about these three guys getting together to pray for rain. They were farmers, and it was a serious drought season. So basically like Southern California. Some of you would, we'd love if you would share some of the water from up here, but it's like drought central down there right now. And these guys are praying for rain. And so these three guys praying, a guy, another guy walks in and goes, what are you doing? It goes, we're praying for rain. And he says, I don't think so. And they're like, what are you talking about? We're on our knees. We're crying out to God. We need rain. We, only God can do this. And he goes, I don't think so. They're like, what are you talking about? He says, if you were really praying for rain, you should have brought an umbrella it's like pray expecting, pray specifically, but pray expecting for God to really do something, right? But, but here's what happens in churches sometimes. We, we think prayer is the last and final frontier. Like we get together and we pray. We're like, okay, good. Like, God, help me get a job. And then we don't apply. We don't interview. We don't ask anybody. We just like pray and then that's it. No, it can't work like that. And even when we get together, sometimes if we don't Figure out the next steps. It's it's kind of what Robert Lewis said. He said it this way. In a church club, members huddle closely together around a common campfire. But by doing so, they block the essential light. (laughs) It's like, we're we're the light of the world. Jesus says, we're the light of the world. Now get out there. So pray specifically, but we got to move into action. So here's the step number two. Keep your eyes open for opportunities. These guys, these four friends... The opportunity was there. His name's Jesus. He's in our town. Our friend needs to be healed. Let's get him to him. And so that's what they did. They, they made sure of that. Opportunities, you don't know how they're going to come up. That's why we're praying. I've been praying for months for a friend of mine back when I was 18 and I was losing my hair. I was working in an auto part warehouse, and a guy named Randy was a really good friend of mine. We had lunch almost every day together. We talk sports, we talk cars, but anytime I tried to bring up God, Jesus, the church, it was just like, poof, no, not talking about it in the conversation. So we'd talk about something else. One day we walked out. After work, we're walking to our cars. Our cars were way out the back of the parking lot. And that way, customers could have the front. Like, people don't even know you're supposed to do that these days. Anyway, customers customers get the front spot. If you work there, park out back, all right? So anyway, so we're walking out to our cars. He had a 55 two-door Chevy, pearl white, big tires. It was like, great car, boom, boom. It look awesome. Next to it was my 73 Olds Cutlass Supreme. That had been hit twice on the same side, <laughs> once by my dad, once by my sister. So we had like kind of long driveway. They had both backed into my car at different times. And he says to me, "We're walking out." He says to me, "Dude, and your car looks like hell." <laughs> and I was like, "I've been praying for an opportunity." My antenna was up, and I said, "Randy, how do you know what hell looks like?" And he says, "I know more than you think." I said, "Oh yeah." <laughs> and we sat on my car that looked like hell. And talk for over an hour, and I finally found out why he was so turned off to God and what happened in the church when he was a kid. Pray for opportunities. Keep your opportunities. Or keep your antennas up. You never know what God's going to do. So let me just talk about opportunities. Jesus put Himself out there where the opportunities could happen. And we have 132 accounts of Jesus interacting with people. Only six of them are in the temple. Jesus didn't wait till everybody came to the. temple. He, he went to them. And in the church, if we're going to really follow Jesus' example, yeah, we gather and we worship and it's awesome. And you guys were great today in worship. But man, we got to go if we're going to be the church. We got people that we need to connect. And maybe the opportunity is going to be the most difficult time in their life. I looked it up again this week. But it hadn't changed. I just Googled five most stressful times in a person's life. Death. Divorce moving, major illness, and loss of a job. Those are the top five. I mean, you look at different lists, there's little variations, but this this is why I bring this up. The people you're praying for, when those kinds of things happen and the stress level and the grief level and the pain level rises, they might just be more open than they've ever been. It's an opportunity. So we can come alongside them, be their friend. So, so when the opportunities come, we're, we're ready to move in, in action. Now, here's the thing. When you, when you move into the life of people who are far from God, you're going to find out things get messy pretty fast, right? Like I've, I've been a pastor in the same town for 35 years. So it's, it's rare for my wife and I to go to a, a restaurant and not see somebody we know. And she works in a school district. So between the two of us, we, we know a lot of people in town. So anytime we go somewhere, somebody walks up to us, says, hi, how are you doing? And every now and then somebody will walk up and say, hey, John, can I talk to you? Yeah, yeah, what's going on? Well, I'm back on meth. Or I've been looking at naked people on the internet again. Or fill in the blank. You know, my, my life's messy too, by the way. Like I, I, I go to a church where the pastor's messy. I don't know if you guys have, yeah, you have it too. We're, we're, all, we're all people who desperately need Jesus. All of us. And when that's the case, and we embrace that, like when the opportunities come up and we move into these situations, it's gonna be messy sometimes, but I'm okay with that. In fact, I wanna be the pastor of a messy church. I don't wanna be the pastor of a church where everybody acts like everything's okay. Like I wanna be where people can say, you know what, I am not where I'm supposed to be, but man, with God's help, I'm getting there. I'm closer today than I was yesterday, right? And my life's not perfect, but I wanna head in the same direction. I want us to do it together. When you and I... See these opportunities happen. Just know it's going to be messy. But here's the cool thing. The church, the church that Jesus established is open to messy and open to the forgotten and open to the broken and open to the grieving and open to the poor and open to the crippled. It's like it's for everyone. That's who the church is for. So for you and I, when we have our list and we're praying for them and we're watching for opportunities, just know that the way we're going to get this done, the best is if we work on it together. Few years back, there was a little girl got caught in a riptide off the Florida coast. Her brother ran out to save her and he got caught in it. The mom went out there, she got caught in it. But within seconds, people recognized what was going on. I want you to see this. Can we put that video up there? I want you to see this. Eighty, over eighty people formed and linked arms to form a human chain to reach out there to grab that mom and grab that, that boy and grab that little girl, and they saved that whole family. But how they do it, <laughs> they work together. That, that's what's the, the, the beauty of the church. We're like, we're in this together. That's how this happens. In Northgate, your mission is to help unchurched people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ by pursuing God, by building community, and by unleashing compassion. And how do we do that best? Together. So let's, let's pray for those opportunities and let's keep our eyes on Let's work on this together. And then the third thing I would just say is this, learn to invest in people. This is all about relationship. This isn't holding people at an arm's length because they're not, you know, all put together yet. It's like, no, I want to invest in that relationship. I'm going to be their friend. Maybe, maybe it is family, and I have to be their friend. But you and I have people in our life that are like, man, they are messy but I'm going to still walk into that. I'm going to be their friend. Listen to this out of the rooted devotional. I know you guys do rooted. Rooted groups are amazing. We do it in our church too. It says people are drawn into relationship with Christ through the kindness of real Christian love more often than theological arguments. Conversely, people are driven from church by the hardness and ugliness of fake or hypocritical Christians more than by their religious doubts. So we invest in people's lives by loving them serving them, listening to them. That, that's the idea behind all of this. And when we invest, then we can invite. Let me say that again. When we invest, then we can invite because we've actually built credibility into the relationship. Like they know that we care about them. And so now when we invite them to come and check out our church, they're, they're more open, more ready for that kind of an invitation. I, I read recently this year, and I don't know if this is like post-COVID kind of, are we still in COVID? Whatever. I know you have some kids that came back from camp who have it. So apparently we're still in COVID. And we had kids at our, at our high school group that were at the same camp as yours were. How cool is that? Anyway, and probably we got COVID too. So I don't know if this is like pre-COVID or whatever, but I just read this just a couple of months ago. And it said that 96% of the people in America, this is huge, 96% of the people in America, if someone were to ask them, they would at least consider going to church. 90, six, I mean, the odds are good. If you get a couple of no's, keep going, man. You're almost there. Like you're gonna get a yes, right? Somebody's going to. Like Jeff last week taught about the demon possessed guy. And then remember he begged to go with Jesus. And Jesus says, no, you're not gonna go with me, but just go back to your hometown, to your people and tell them what God has done for you. In Mark, who who deals with these same stories chronologically, he says, Jesus left, the guy goes back to town, he starts telling people, the next time Jesus shows up, remember they wanted Jesus to leave? The next time Jesus shows up, Jesus is feeding 4,000 men plus women and children. Where did all these people come from? I think by one guy who used to be crazy, who's now telling everybody who Jesus is, they go, "We, we gotta meet this Jesus guy, right? So the next time he comes, there's a crowd Because some of you, I want to say that because some of you are thinking, I don't know if I can invite anybody because my life's messy right now. Hmm. Your your life doesn't have to be perfect for you to invite somebody. It's like, hey, I don't even have all the answers. I just know I'm getting help. Why don't you come check it out too? I'm being encouraged. Why don't you come check it out too? I'm, I'm finding hope. Why don't you come check it out too? All of these things can help us then show somebody who Jesus is because we're investing investing in that relationship. The way we say it at our church is this. If heaven and hell are real, and we believe they are because Jesus said so, if heaven and hell are real, the most loving thing we could ever do for anybody is introduce them to Jesus. I mean, how much do you have to hate somebody not to tell them the best news in the universe? The most loving thing we can do. So I'm gonna gonna read something for you. This is called, I Stand by the Door. It's by Samuel Shoemaker. Samuel Shoemaker was a really good friend of Bill Wilson who founded Alcoholics Anonymous. And Samuel Shoemaker was a part of that founding. But he writes this, and I think it's a perspective maybe we need today. He says, I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It's the door through which men walk to find God. There's no use in my going way inside and staying there when all so many are outside the door. And they, as much as I, crave to know where the door is and all that so many ever find is a wall where a door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men, outstretched, groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for a man to find the door, the door to God. The most important thing that any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to a man's own touch. Men die outside that door. As starving beggars die on cold nights and cruel cities in the dead of winter. Die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it because they haven't found it. So nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints, go all the way in, go down into the cavernous cellars and way up into the spacious attics in the vast roomy house where God is. Go into the deepest of hidden casements of withdrawal and silence and sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and yell out to us the heights and depths of God and tell us how wonderful it is. But my place seems closer to the opening, so I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in. But I wish they would not forget what it was like before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet found the door because you can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. So, as for me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know he's there, but not so far from men as to hear them and remember that they are there too. Where? Outside the door thousands of them, millions of them, but more important for me, one of them, two of them, 10 of them, whose hands I'm intended to put on the latch, so I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I would rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. That's what I'm asking you to do today, is just stand by the door. Help somebody else find Jesus. You know, we began by talking about hide and seek inside. When you get a little bit older, you don't need your parents or your grandparents. You play outside with your friends. And everybody gathers in somebody's front yard. And everybody starts yelling, not it. <laughs> and whoever doesn't yell it is it. Not like Captain It or Really Cool It. You're just it. And so you, you count. And everybody scatters. But this time, instead of waiting until you're found, you wait till it goes way over there and you calculate how fast he or she is and how fast you are, and you make a mad dash for home base. Home base can be the front yard tree or dad's car or the front porch, but as soon as you touch it, you're safe, right? That's the outside version. What did we say? Everybody wants to be found. But what might need to happen right now is for you to grab somebody's hand and help them make that mad dash to home base to meet Jesus. And it can be as simple as just bringing them with you on a weekend. Don't make it complicated, but love them, pray for them, invest in that relationship and get them here. Let's pray together. Father, we do come to you knowing that you love us. That you want a relationship, I desperately want a relationship with us. That just itself blows me away. But thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for coming to us, Jesus, for paying the price that our sin required so that we could even have this relationship. Thank you. And now, God, by your Spirit, help us be the kind of people who can make a difference in the people on our list the people you've placed in our life, the people you put us here on purpose for. Maybe we work with them. Maybe we live near them. Maybe they're on our kids' team. Whatever the relationship is, God, they're, they're in our life for a reason, and we know. We know you. So help us help them find that door to find you. God, may you be honored by a church in Benicia, is absolutely on fire for you. And the way they show that is because they love the people you've placed in their life. God, help them do it better and better and better each day, amen. knowing that people are desperate for that that introduction. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen, amen. Thank you guys for letting me be with you today. It's always an honor. It's a privilege to stand together. Let's stand. The team's going to sing. Let's just sing. Let's just echo out this truth about who God is. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at ngatecf. See you next week.